Good evening. I don't know who the last speaker to the use microphone one was, but they sure did wad up the cord real good. So it's, a, it's all, it's like, a, it's like a fishing line after I went. After I go out fishing as well. So good evening to you. Glad to be back. Had a couple people ask how the weekend trip went. It went great. I saw lots of things all by myself in Western North Carolina. I went to the store and went to a football game and drove across the bridge. Did all those kinds of things and reported back faithfully to Mary after it was all said and done. She appeared to see the bed and then the couch and then the chair and then back to the couch. So uh, in the TV and all that, it was uh, it wasn't great, but uh, it was it was fine. Huh? The deck. The deck. That's right. Oh yeah, the deck. Yeah, yeah. The the, the deck is all of those kinds of things. But uh, but it was. Uh, can't help it. It's just how Mary said, she said, I've gotten all these shots. I've avoided everything. And then the one weekend we go somewhere is when she gets sick. So, uh, but anyway, uh, I had to practice my compassion and empathy uh, during, uh, during this time. Tonight we're talking about compassion and empathy. We don't have a specific uh, lesson tonight. In fact, we're going to be looking at numerous uh Brief examples from the Bible. Most of our scriptures that we're going to be looking at are just two or three or four verses. There's one that's about 15 verses. But we'll be all over the place. So if you've got your Bible, you probably need your Bible uh, to, to, to be able to flip back and forth. But everything we need uh, will be up here uh, on, the, uh, on the board. Um, we're talking about compassion and empathy. I think we talk about the word compassion quite a bit. I don't think we talk about the word empathy enough. This is a conversation that me and one of my coworkers had quite often. And one of the things that I think some people struggle with is empathy. Um, have you ever heard somebody say something along the lines of, I, I hate that for you? You ever heard that? They don't mean that. You know, I mean, I'm not saying not everybody does, but somebody, I'll be guilty of this, I hate that for you. And I can think another thing about it. But when we think about what empathy is, we're going to talk a little bit more about it here as we go. It's in a sense trying to put ourselves into the shoes of that person. Part of the reason we don't always like to put ourselves into the shoes of that person, we don't want to deal with that. You know, that's somebody else's problem. i got other things that I can deal with. But one of the first things we want is when we're dealing with something, I need you to understand what I'm going through. And we struggle sometimes with empathy and putting ourselves into it. I would argue that empathy is a trained skill. I don't know that we're necessarily born empathetic. There may be some, some, some of that in us, but we have to practice this a little bit. And much like anything, the less we practice, the less good we're going to be at. That can't be the right way to say that. But the more we practice, then hopefully the better we will be at it. So we're going to look tonight at some biblical examples of compassion and empathy. I'm going to talk, though, we do this for each one of these, and in uh, some examples of compassion in the Old Testament. The first one, Exodus chapter 22 and verse uh, 27. For that is his only covering, it is his garment for his skin. What will he sleep in? And it will be that when he cries to me, I will hear, for I am gracious. Concern for someone's well-being. And then I am gracious toward That's an example maybe uh, that's right there. Saying across the top, Exodus 34, verse 6. Uh, and the Lord passed before him. I'm going to get closer and closer. I keep making this moment. And proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, 
long-suffering and abounding in goodness and uh, in truth. Somebody who is compassionate or empathetic would be described in a way that we see there in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6. Across the bottom, Lamentations 3 and 22. The Lord's mer- through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. You may remember several months ago when we were studying the book of Lamentations. And it's a series of five poems about the fall of, uh, of Israel. They were 20, the first two and the last two chapters are 22 verses, and the middle chapter was 44. But it was about this sadness and concern about what had happened, but it said, His compassions fell not. Last one, Psalm 86 and verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. So just a few Old Testament verses. We go on to the New Testament, you'll see this as well. Matthew 14, 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude. And he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Almost every example of compassion in the Bible usually goes back to Jesus in some form or another. Down at the bottom, Ephesians 4 and verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Forgiving one another, and it's the last part of the verse that I'm sure we're all familiar with, even as God in Christ forgave you. So if we're going to be compassionate and empathetic towards someone, the question might be, well, why do I need to do that? Well, where's the best example? Jesus showed compassion toward us as well. Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. And the last one, 1 Peter 3.8, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. So it's just some examples here of Old Testament and New Testament compassion. Let's talk a little bit about what the two things are. First of all, empathy. Okay, so I found this, I thought this kind of worked pretty good. I don't know what the picture goes first. What are the, what's the two people in the picture doing? There's an embrace here, and it definitely seems like that there's some, I I know it's a story about compassion and empathy. It's probably not a, I'm in love with you on the first date kind of hug right here, but rather a a sort of sadness that's with it. But empathy, this feeling for someone, I understand what you're going through, I've been there. Well, we haven't all been there. We've all experienced some things, but some of us have experiences that others haven't. But trying to put ourselves into that spot or trying to compare, we'll come back to that a little bit more uh, a little bit later. Uh, And then compassion, feeling for someone uh, and a desire to help. I can understand your distress and I want to help. And these are situations, I think this lesson can be helpful for us Because I think these are things that we face on a day-to-day basis. And we'll look at some religious examples, but we'll also look at uh, maybe some application for uh, our own lives as well. So when we think about loving our neighbors, helping our neighbors, what comes to mind? What what comes to mind when when we hear we need to love and to help our neighbors? what, What pops into your head? So a, a, a list of tasks that we could come up with that somebody might need help with because they're physically unable. It could be because they're elderly or they went through a, 
went through a surgery or something like that? What other things maybe come to mind for us when we think about helping or loving our neighbor? To be concerned for anything that you might need. Okay. Right. That's compassion. It is. And we're probably never going to understand what they're going through. Right. We know it's bad, and we try to help. So, but maybe a question then: Is it enough to sympathize with somebody's plight, or to express sorrow for their lot in life? No, that's not enough. Not enough. And a couple questions: What does sympathy provide? There is a le- there is a place for sympathy, absolutely, a level of comfort uh, there. What does sympathy change? It changes emotions and attitudes and feelings when someone knows that someone's being sympathetic. It takes that loneliness away that, that you know that you got someone to share with, and you're not going through it. Sure, sure. It happened years later. Uh-huh. And that, and I never was really close to him. Sure. Absolutely. It doesn't. That's exactly. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. You know. The, and I think that sometimes we think about that uh, when we think about people that are in distress or need or whatever and like well you know after after a couple weeks it'll be fine and then it's there's some truth to that after a couple you, you know you do move on with anything but there's also this sort of repeated need uh that, that would come back uh that, that would revere uh, reveal itself again sure So that's a really good thing that Ben just said because it leads kind of into our next thing. To extend love to others requires that we have to have some understanding of something about what their needs are, right? Uh, We have to put ourselves in their shoes. It may mean that we have to ask some questions. And and the first question that we're always going to ask is, what can I do for you? But that's the easy question, right? Because... I hope that somebody, when I say, what can I do for you? I hope the answer is, I need to go to the store. I can do that, no trouble. Or it'd be nice if you would mow the yard. I can do that. Those are, those are kind of those checklist tasks that we want. But sometimes that question's hard to answer. Because there maybe isn't necessarily something that we can physically do. Because physically doing something is easy. It's hard work, but it's easy. But there's some emotional, and sometimes we don't want to get into that sort of emotional level and because and, and, and we may think ah oh, this is more than I can handle. You know, I don't want to I don't know that I want to deal with this. So <clears throat> sometimes to develop empathy, and we're talking about developing empathy, sometimes we have to recognize, we have to educate ourselves about groups and circumstances that we have to be able to be empathetic toward. I will say this as a school teacher. I have about 120 kids over the course of the day. And I can tell you this, there are 120 different kinds of kids that walk into that room. And there are things that I can say to one of them that I could not say to another one for anything in the world. 
And there are some of them that if I even raise my voice the slightest little bit, they'll be in tears. And there's other ones that I could probably yell at for 20 minutes and they wouldn't bother them one bit. But everybody's different. There are kids that are dealing with issues that are hard for me to grasp. For instance, I have kids who have parents who might as well, you could just say, don't exist. I cannot relate to that as somebody whose parents were always there. But I can't just, well, I'm sorry, 15-year-old, I can't relate to this. I'm not, because I have to find an understanding of that. So what I have to do, what I need to do is figure out how can I, just, how can I sort of develop this empathy for a situation that I maybe can't relate to. And it's, because, it's harder because they may be of a different generation. Every kid I deal with is of a different generation. I had kids the other day tell me, it's like, well, the year I was born, I was like, well, they teach you for five years and they was born right there. It's hard for me to understand that. You have people like that that you come in contact with. The people that you work with are not the same age as you. The people who live next door to you may not be the same age as you. Mm-hmm. That's the reason Jesus went through what he went through so he could be there for us. And I think sometimes some of the heartache and pain that we go through here on this earth is to enable us, like Joseph, for the next thing that we need to help somebody else with who maybe couldn't handle it on their own. Absolutely. And so when we think about empathy, then what we're thinking about here is how can I not only help you, but how can I better understand? the situation that you are involved in. And I'm just going to be real honest with you. I don't know that the church has always done a very good job of that at all. Because I, I think the church in many ways likes cookie cutters. And we can kind of mold this and this is what it needs to be. And you're different. You're different than everybody else. And you've got to fix it rather than us trying to understand differences uh, of what it is. And I'm saying that and, and I, I can be blamed for that just as much uh, as anyone else. Boo. I think so. To me, like they're helping the kids at school, to me that's more compassionate than it is empathetic. And I'll tell you why. Uh The compassion is feeling for someone and saying, I want to help you. I I try to help you understand this. That's your job. But like Jill has lost her mother, and for those of us in here who have lost their mothers, we're empathetic. Right. Because we've not been through that. You know? Yeah. I mean, most of us in here have lost our mothers. It's a. The empathy is when you've been through it and you flat understand it. The compassion is when you have pity and you say, I will try to understand it. Uh-huh. Now that's what my sense. I think, I think there's some truth uh, to that. But I think sometimes if we're not careful, we put a sharp divide in and we say, I can't cross that other, that, that, that other line. Yes. Yes. Sure. Sure. Your hands raised, sorry. When the effort was made on my mom's funeral day, everybody here was on the side. Right. And that meant, I mean, nobody else, no, they probably didn't pay attention to that, but I did. Sure. Because my church family, I mean, I feel like I need to be able to go to you all if right. I need something. And I mean, I didn't ask for each other, but you showed up. Sure. I think uh, a lot of times, empathy, too, the best thing, the most empathetic thing you can do is just listen. 
Yeah. Just let them hug you for, ten, for five minutes if they yeah. get hungry. I know Ron died, but Zach hugged me for 10 minutes. He's actually a big boy. Right. And he got squashed in the And I said, I don't care if he hugs me. Tell off, tell off. Right. Because he was your grandpa. Sure. Hot for Sure. But I think it's a lot like what you were saying, too. You have to build that up. You have to be able to put yourself, whether you've been in that situation or not, in that person's shoes. Like Abraham Lincoln said, there goes someone I don't like. I need to get to know him better be able to put myself in his shoes. Right. But the more you do that, get outside of yourself and put yourself in that homeless person situation, that drug addict situation, whatever they're going through, the more you're able to do that, the better you become at it. We're going to look at several examples in the New Testament tonight of compassion or empathy or both, whatever word you want to use. But I want you to think about just these things that you know from, uh, about Jesus. How many times did Jesus help or you know, do a miracle, whatever it was? How many times was it with somebody that, by, by our definition, we'd say he didn't know? It was somebody who was, we might call him a rank stranger, right? We know what that word is. And, and there are so many examples. There's other examples where Jesus, you know, I think about Lazarus, you know, it was his close uh, friend or whatever. But there's a lot of examples of just sort of, we would almost call random people uh, that, that, that Jesus helped. And he oftentimes willingly, what Ben was saying a minute ago, sort of willingly associated with people that you would not have hung out with. Or that you would have almost been worried about your reputation had you said something. To that person. And so I want us to think about that tonight. So we're going to look at several examples. And really, the only question I have for you on every one of these, and I think there's seven of them. The only question that I really have for you is, where was the compassion? Where was the empathy? Okay? And that's what we're looking for. And then we'll follow it up with, how can I do this in my life? Obviously, you can't perform a, you know, you can't raise somebody from the dead. I don't mean that. But what is the lesson that I can, the compassion or the empathy that I can take from this and apply it going forward? Let's talk first though about the compassion of Jesus. This is Matthew chapter 9 verses 35 through 38. Linda, do you care to read this one? Matthew 9, 35 through 38. So this is just sort of, uh, to me, a good set of verses, verses about the compassion of Jesus. And I want us to look at this ver- or this set of verses kind of almost halfway. And so if we can draw a line sort of between the people and the period and the word but right here. The first part right there, how would you describe, where is the compassion in this? preaching the gospel, the kingdom, healing their sickness and every disease among the people. 
Does it seem like Jesus was busy going about his father's business right here? And so there's compassion there. Because I would imagine, if we want to envision Jesus being and you know, coming to this earth and living as a man, there were probably times when Jesus was tired, right? There were probably times when, man, I tell you what, I, I just don't hardly know if I can go one more place. We can all relate to that, right? But he says then in that second part, when he saw the multitudes, all these people, it said he was what? Moved with compassion for them. Not just, well, what does moved with compassion mean? I think that's the perfect word picture. We all can imagine seeing a little lamb stuck in briars or something like that. Every one of us, we see a little lamb by itself, what are we all going to do? I mean, I don't care how many you are, you're going to run over, you're going to have that little sheep. Right. Because you just won't be like that. That's, yeah. that's the perfect work picture to me. So he was moved with compassion. Mom, what are you going to say? Or did Ben pick yours? Oh, I just said he saw. He saw that those people had needs. He saw. But it almost seems like there's a period and then it says, but then, or but when. And so it almost, and for us, if we're not careful, we, get, we might get to that period and say, I've done enough. Right? You know, I've went to the cities and villages. I've talked in the synagogues. I've preached. I've healed your sickness. I've dealt with all the disease. Instead of it saying, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved. But when he saw the multitudes, he was like, man, I wish somebody else would. Do we sometimes get into that pretty easily? So we kind of have, we have a measure of compassion, but maybe not a complete, you know, full tank of empathy, compassion, whatever it might be. But Jesus has been said there, he saw them because he looked at them weary and scattered like sheep having what? And who is the shepherd? It's Jesus, right? Jesus the loving shepherd, as the song goes, right? And so it was almost like the old saying, if it's to be, it's up to me. And it kind of was, this is, this is my job, right? Jesus will say something like that right before his death. He says, for this hour is what I came for, right? He, this was his task that he had to do. I think in the, when he was moving compassion, pity has to be substituted. Sure, absolutely. That, that's not an empathetic verse. That's, that's, a, that's a verse of pity and compassion. Uh-huh. Now, yes. once you get down into talk about the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few, you can start being empathetic. But to do a fine line between it, that's a pity. No, I agree. <laughs> and then one of Jesus' tasks was going to have to be to, to, to develop a cadre of people that was going to come after him because his life was going to be short, right? And so if he doesn't do anything, what's going to happen to the, the, the church's existence? Can it exist? No, and so the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And some of these people that he's going to be working with are going to be trained to be laborers as well. Yeah, I, 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 he's dealing too with the people that are defeated people. People <coughs> got the Roman government's uh, iron hand, Lord knows sure. everything that they say or do. The government is there, and I mean they're subject to the winds that government. They can have them snuffed out sure. in a moment. And these people are, after a while, that gets old and you uh-huh. beat down. You, yeah. know, you kind of lose your pizzazz. You don't have the energy. And it seems almost hopeless. Right. And he sees that. But now he's going to instill hope in the right. that this is what they've been looking for. What about this? This is one that I think we'll be familiar with. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 14. Verses 13 through 21. That's not real big, so you might want to take this from your own Bible instead. Lucille, do you care to read this one? It's Matthew 14, 
verses uh, 13 through 21. turn over a page in Matthew 15, you'll see a real similar story feeding them 4,000 right here. But if we look, if we divide this in again into two parts, uh, he, he leaves, he goes to a deserted place. The New King James is deserted, the Old King James is desert, uh, it, it, whatever, it's, there's not a lot going on uh, in this place. But Jesus goes, but who goes with? Who goes as well? The multitude, they, they followed him in the process. Well, if you want to follow me to Walmart, I can probably help you. But if you want to follow me into the middle of the desert, it's going to be a little hard, right? And so he, uh, he speaks with them. He's moved compassion with them in verse 14, which is almost word for word what we just read uh, in Matthew chapter 9. But he was moved with compassion for them, healed their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples, what did the disciples say to them? You know, they used to have to go home, you know, because why? It's light. They're hungry. We don't have any food. We don't have any food. I'm tired. You know, all the kind of things, I, you know, they need to go. But Jesus almost, the, the immediate response from Jesus is what? He said, they don't need to go away at all. But then he says, you give them something. Well, the challenge is extended back to the people because this is really difficult, right? It's really difficult to give somebody something to eat when you don't have anything for it. What did they have? They said, we have here five loaves and two fishes. You can read that verse and say, we ain't got nothing. <laughs> uh, you, I mean, I know what the verse says, but really what he's saying, we ain't, we ain't got nothing. You might as well say, we, we got, uh, you know, got a bag over here. Ain't got nothing left in it. But Jesus said, what? Bring them here to me. Hold them to sit down. This is a miracle uh, of, of what they have. Now, where is the compassion? Right here. Absolutely. Do we see any other compassion? I think maybe compassion. I don't know if this is the right word, but he sort of puts it on the the disciples here, right? 
It's sometimes we need to be challenged by other people to see what we're capable of doing here, right? And the real easy answer with him, when, he, when Jesus said, they don't need to go away, you give them something to eat. The real easy answer is the exact answer that the disciples gave, right? They said what? We have only five loaves and two fishes. Uh, fishes. They limited, right? They, they limited Jesus' ability. Were they right on the math? Yes. They absolutely were right. They, the, the itemized list of things they had was pretty small right there. And they said, we, we, we only, what they're really saying is we don't have anything and we can't do anything about this there, right? Do we sometimes face challenges that same way? Absolutely. Do we sometimes look at this and say, I can't really do anything about this situation. Don't be the, the, don't be the glass half empty sometimes. And don't you think it was the providence God that opened the right Well, I'm sure. I'm sure we, I'm sure we would uh, to, to, to be that. And so Jesus then said, you know, he takes control, as it were, of the situation right there and solves the problem. Now, at the very beginning, the disciples said, we need to send these people home. And Jesus absolutely right then just said what? It's probably right. It is late. Go on out. Do we do that sometimes? Those, yes. Those limits that we see in our human eyes are the reason that we go with sympathy and stop. Yeah. Because we think we're limited. Yeah. Absolutely. I love it. Roy's always said for years, he's always said, a person can do more than they think they can. Of course. And 99.9% of people always, always can do more than they Absolutely. We hear this story sometimes with farmers, you know, out in the Midwest, they've got huge crops, and they get sick, they have heart attack, they get cancer, and they think, well, I've got a real problem. I'm in the hospital, I cannot gather my crops. And then here comes six or seven neighbors with combines, and they just knock it out just like that. And, uh, and maybe those people aren't going to starve today. That sure is a nice sure. thing to happen there. Absolutely. And if, you, if you're sick, you can't mow your yard, and the yard's getting too deep, you know, I mean, it's not so much the doctor can't. Right. They don't tell you nothing. They just mow it. Don't know who that is. Uh, I think it's a lot of big problems. Human nature's real. I can start thinking about all the reasons we can't do it. Yep. Instead of thinking about how we can or reason can. That's the first one. Most of it was coming. So I can't do that because it's not. Right. We start limiting ourselves and cutting ourselves off before we even start. And it's, it's interesting that you say that because the disciples were ready to send them home before they'd even done the math about how much food was there, right? It made a lot more sense after they realized how much food, but that, they were sending them home even beforehand. Let's go to this. This is the unforgiving servant. Uh, this is from Matthew chapter 18. Booty, care to read this one? It's 18, 21 through 35. I've got two slides here if you want it up here or if you want to take it from uh, your own Bible. Servant went out and 
So this fellow fell down, the servant fell, fell, the servant fell down his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went through himself in the prison until he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and came and told their master all that had been done. And his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. We talk about parables quite often as being heavenly stories, earthly meaning, that kind of thing. I don't know if this is true as a story. This may be a made-up story, but this story has lived out a billion times in world history. Right? We can all uh, probably relate and maybe even have examples. Story told in two parts, right? The first guy is indebted, and what does his master do for him? He forgives it, right? He forgives it, which is what we would hope to be able to do, right? We would hope that somebody would forgive us. And then the man who was forgiven immediately goes out and does what? He makes his servants pay him. But not only that, what does he do to the people that owed him a debt? He put them in jail. Not, not even just, I need a Friday. It's put them in jail and treat them horrible all the way through. Where is the compassion and then where is the compassion missing in this story? Absolutely. Are we sometimes guilty of that? Somebody helps us, but then we don't sort of pay it forward. We don't help other people. Yes. It was a great thing that he got his debt forgiven. That was awesome. But I still need to get paid on this other side, right? That, that was so. The last verse there says, Some of my heavenly Father also will do to you, uh, do to you if each of you from his heart does not, here's the last part, forgive his brother of his trespasses. You remember in the, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 6 and verses 7, the model prayer there, right? How we are praying. One of the sentences there, it says, to forgive us of what? Our debts or our, tra- our trespasses. It's a different person say different things. But either one covers the same thing. But forgive us of our debts as we what? So we're asking forgive us. It's a prayer. So who's that going? Who's that request going to? God, forgive us as we, that's going to me, does what? So how can I expect forgiveness from up here if I will not forgive anyone that I come in contact with? We struggle with this though, right? But it's different. Especially struggle with from his heart. Yep. We can all forgive somebody, say we forgive somebody, and just put it behind them. To really just truly forgive them in your heart and just completely put it behind you. But then you don't know how many times I've had to deal with this guy. I don't have any times God's had to deal with me. Do we think do we think like that though? No. We've all said the sentence that I just said, right? I I tell you, I don't know if I can deal with this guy anymore. Well, how many times is God going to say? What does it say in the earlier part of the reading? How many times we forgive it? Say it's not get calculators out, right? 490 is what the number is, but that's not what it means. It's telling you when do you stop forgiving. You never, that's really hard, right? But like Ben said, how many times have we been forgiven? How many times have we prayed and said something along the lines of, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned? 
Well, every single time, right? Don't you ever think that God probably thinks, hey, it'd be nice if they quit every so often. But that's just not human nature, right? We make mistakes. But we know, because the Bible tells us, that we have an avenue to ask for forgiveness. Why can we not extend that avenue sometimes to the people that come in contact with us on a daily basis? And then when it says it delivered him to the, the master delivered him to the torturers. Yes. Then it says, so my heavenly father will also do to each of you. Right. Absolutely. Two blind men. Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34. Matthew 20, 29 through 34. Jimmy, do you care to read this one? Now, as they went on out of Jericho, great multitude followed him, and behold, two blind men sitting by the road, and they heard that Jesus was passing by crowds, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude bore them that they should be quiet, but they cried out on the Lord, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be open. So Jesus had compassion, touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes were seaside, and they followed him. Have you ever heard somebody say, It's not what you said, but how you said it? I want us to look at that verse. Right there in verse 32. Kind of bracket verse 32 for a second. Because in this story, Jesus is, is walking by here as they come out of Jericho. And these two blind men are saying what? Oh Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the people is around and tell them what? Basically, shut up. Be quiet. Be quiet. They don't need to, but they said what? They cried out more. Why did they cry out a second time, do you think? They needed help, but they wanted Jesus to hear him. So I want us to look then at verse 32. So Jesus stood still and called on them and said, Now look at this verse. What do you want me to do for you? Now let's say it one of two ways. What do you want me to do for you? Or, what do you want me to do for you? It's all in hand reading. Because we can read that either way, right? How many times have we answered or have we uttered that same sentence as Jesus, but said what do you want me to do for you? Do we sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm willing to help, but my goodness, I'm tired of helping you. We sometimes say it like this, don't we? We kind of fall into that. But I don't think that's the way Jesus said it because of the last two verses. They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be open. These were blind men, and it seems to me like if I was blind and you could help me, I would go try and get that help wherever it could be. And so then Jesus what? Well, what's the word there? He had what? He had compassion for them. For their eyes, touched their eyes and immediately what? They received sight. There's no period at the end of sight though. Come and what? And they followed him. They realized at the beginning of the verse that their help, their salvation would come from where? It didn't come at the end of the verse. They recognized it at the beginning. In verse 29, they already recognized where it was going to be. And they said, I will do whatever I can. If I have to yell a little louder, I'll do it. Because they realized where their help would come from. And it came, and then how they responded. They followed. They followed. Yeah, I'm right there. I think, too, the compassion talk about being able to put yourself in a situation. Sometimes the compassion it's never the same way twice. Yes, right. It's always 
how that person needs help or what yep. that person needs to be able to believe that he can do this, to have faith in there are numerous examples of Jesus helping or healing people or whatever almost in passing. And this is an example of in passing. And almost every time when Jesus is moving from point A to point B here, it says they're coming out of Jericho, but when they're moving from point A to point B, somebody needs help, and there's almost always other people saying, ah, let's move on, right? And you can kind of see that. They don't, somebody's not telling them, Pipe down, right? He, this guy's got more important things to do. It's kind of, do we sometimes have more important things to do? We do. We think we do. We do sometimes think that. And so right here, though, Jesus hears and then helps. Help them more. One that you'll be familiar with, Jesus heals a leper. We'll be sure to read this. It's Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. Compassion is clearly there. I don't know that when people are baptized, I don't know that we usually say, I am willing to be cleansed, but we could say the same thing, right? 
Because that's the same thing. As soon as it, as soon as it happens, what are we healed if we want to use that word for baptism? Right then and there. Arise. And he did not demand. No. And, 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 and realistically, Jesus could have said what to him? No, he could have easily said. There's examples, we talked about this last Sunday, where the, the woman who was a Gentile, she, she wanted Jesus to heal her daughter. And it, and it really wasn't the right thing to do, right? He was there to teach the gospel to who? The Jew first, right? But then, he's like, you know, she said it a second time, and then he heals and he raises the daughter from the dead uh, right there. But we see over and over again, might have been inconvenient. It might have been sort of improper. It might have been unhealthy. But what did Jesus say? But all these, like you said, all these people approached with humbleness. Absolutely. And it wasn't like a you heal me right now. And it wasn't a if you're who you say you are. Absolutely. None of that. Uh -uh. Simply, I believe in you, and if you will help me out, I'd appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. And he did not have to touch you. No! No, absolutely. Yeah, he told the, you know, the Gary stories here that she's healed. Yeah. And, uh, but he did, I think that was, I think that told this letter that you're poor. Yes. I think of a homeless man or somebody who's been real bad off, nobody homeless want to just go up and hug him and take a back. That's what Jesus doing. Yeah. This guy had been had that human touch in years. Yeah. And to have that first touch of human conformance and compassion. I imagine this melted broke his eyes. Sure. With two more. Uh, one, this is the uh, this is the widow's son. Uh, we're in Luke right here, chapter seven, verses eleven through uh, fifteen. Uh, Jill, do you care to read this? Luke seven, eleven through fifteen. Name. Uh, name. Yeah. So in the story here, Jesus sort of strolls into town, as it were, and he, in, a, in a sense, he kind of comes upon a funeral, right? And this person, this boy, this man, I don't know what had died, but it's kind of a double problem here, right? He was her what? Son, but she was also what? A widow. And this has some cultural problems that would have been really challenging for somebody there at the time. But this would be difficult for us as well. If it was something you had one child and one uh, spouse and they both have died, you're going to be left. In, in our world, it might be a very lonely situation. In her world, it would have been a financially uh, financial strife that would have come from it. But Jesus' first words to her here are what? First of all, he had compassion on her. He said, do not weep. Which sometimes, well, let me, let me rephrase Based on what we've read up until what Jesus said right here, that feels like the absolute worst thing to say, right? Why does that seem like a really bad thing to say? To walk up to a woman at a funeral whose husband's already dead and her son just died, you walk up and say, do not leave. Why does that feel like that might not be the best thing to say? What else can I do? 
feels like that's the only thing that you could do right there. Was leave. But why are you telling him to leave? But you know, you could read that like, do not weep, or you uh -huh. but Jesus, that kind of sure. passion, and you just picture sweet voice. Right. And he touched the coffin, and those who came, not stood still. He set up, uh, so he was then set up against the deacon, and he presented him to his mother right there. This is an example of Jesus, once again, in a situation where didn't have to help. I mean, here's a person that's dead, right? There was, sometimes there's, you might look at this and you say, well, Daniel, I can't, I can't bring somebody up out of the coffin. That's not possible. That's, that's fair. But the other day, after Joyce's funeral, we drove, and I don't really, I still don't know if I can get the province from Raleigh. That's just not the way I know how to go. But we pulled out, the, they, they, they took us out, and pulled out onto the bypass, or one, the, old, the new one. And as we drove, and then we turned on 70, and then we turned again, there were cars and trucks that stopped along the way. And to me, I, I, don't, I, I still think that's the best part of a funeral. I, 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 that's, that I don't, and, and I don't, I don't know that, I, I'm sure that people who stop at funerals like that, I'm sure a lot of them are fidgeting with the radio and talking on the phone or texting somebody or whatever. But, you know, the occasions when those happen, I find myself, when I stop, and for this brief moment, there's this thought of who, wonder who that is, or do I have any connection, or no, and odds are, you know, even, even in small towns, there's a good chance that you may not know them right there. But to me, there's, that's something that we can do. And I don't know that it means that much, but it, it, but it means a lot more. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have to define what it means. Is that fair to say right there? I, I don't know. Do you have thoughts on that? That's not really what this story is about, but that's what I wanted to mention with this. It's just an utmost show of respect. It's kind of a cultural thing for the mm -hmm. South to do it that. Is. But you can also think, we've, all of us have stopped many times. I was at Ed Russell a couple weeks ago, and you do not have to stop for shit. But legally, you really shouldn't. It's not. It's actually uh, you would be at fault. Yeah, you know, right. got a little over. I apologize. But the parable of the lost son, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24. Ben, do you care to, you care to read this one? This, I'm, go ahead. It's, it's a second slide. So. He began to be in want. 
Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to into the fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly fill his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one, uh, no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, Now me and my father's hired servants have bread enough and despair, and I perish his hunger. I will arrive and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, Bring out the best robe and put it on, and put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Not a new story, one that we're all familiar with here, but I think a good one to show a, a, an example at the end, because this in some of our early, some of the earliest ones, we could easily say, well, those are all things that Jesus did, and I'm not Jesus, so I couldn't do that. But this last one is not something that Jesus does, right? And where is the compassion in this series of verses? Father, forgive the Was it was any of this? I don't want to say necessary. That's not the right. But, but, but was there a place for the father here to sort of fuss at the son? Was there a place for, I told you so. There absolutely was. Was there a place for, I wish you'd have just stayed here and been like your brother and been a lot less trouble for me? Yeah, because kind of the story behind it is the kid basically forced his father. Mm -hmm. Because the kids could force their parents to go ahead and give them their inheritance yeah. at a certain time. So basically, the kid is taking his father to court and making him do this. A level of sort of disrespect for the father at the very beginning. But there in the, toward the very, well, as about halfway through, the, the, the son says, he realizes the mistakes that he's made. And he said, I'm sitting here eating what the pigs don't want to eat. I could be at home living, you know, eating, eating everything. And when he comes home, again, it's not a new story. We're all familiar. But you would expect sort of a knocks on the door and it's like, well, but the, the story here says the father was what? Watching. Was watching, waiting for him. And when the boy gets close, what's the father do? It's the total opposite of what we would expect, right? I mean, I'm almost like, you can come over and hug me because you, but that's not the way up. He goes, that he runs and I'm almost, and to me it almost is like he tackles him almost. He's so happy to see him right there. Was there a place for telling this boy that he had done wrong? Well, the boy did it because he said, I have sinned. I don't think he'd be necessary. I don't think so. Would he have been wrong to have told him that he'd done wrong? No, no. Huh. But he also, the son went back, not with Treat me like I'm anything special. Yeah. He went back with the attitude. I'll be the lowest man. I don't want to be more than just what the service. But, so, if we're thinking about compassion, we're thinking about empathy. 
Sometimes we're almost ready to get kind of our pound of flesh right there. I told you so. And I don't know that that helps anybody in this situation. Right now, that, 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 that boy didn't need to end it. And, you know, a month later, they might need to, you know, have a serious conversation. I don't know. But it seemed like everybody knew where they were wrong in the process of this. And sometimes we're a little over eager to tell people, where they're wrong. So I'm going to look five things real quick, and I know we're going over, and I apologize. But how to grow compassion and empathy. They've got five things right here. First of all, talk with other people. There's no way that you can learn empathy and compassion without talking to other people. If you don't talk with anybody, you don't know what other people are going through. And that's one of the best things. I, 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 I've had, you know, I've been teaching for almost 20 years, and people sometimes say, how, how, do, you, how do you deal with students? Talk to them. Uh, it, it's not about social studies. You know, ask them about soccer or ask them about the band or ask them about their job or the parents or who they're related to. Did I have your brother? Do you have a sister that's younger than you? That kind of thing. But we have to talk with others. Number two, break down, help break down struggles into smaller obstacles. How many of us have ever just felt overwhelmed by stuff? The first principal class that I took was the first class I'd taken in like 10 or 11 years. And the first assignment dealt with Excel spreadsheets and I was about 10 minutes into it and said, I don't want to go to school ever again right there. Because I've got eight more of these classes that I've got to take, and I hate every part of this. But then I realized, I don't have to take all eight classes tonight. I have to do one assignment tonight. Sometimes we can get a little overwhelmed, right? we got too many things going on. Help try to break it down into smaller obstacles. Number three, and I think this is important, tell your own story but not at the expense of others. Sometimes we want to tell everybody all the things that we did to get through these issues, but they're not facing the same thing you did. It might be the same thing, but it's not the same thing. Does that make sense? Their parent may have passed away, your parent passed away, but the situation is mostly different. You can tell yours, but don't lead with yours. Let them go first. We can't develop empathy if the only thing we want to talk about is ourselves. Number four, pray with each other and for each other. And number five, work together. Every example of Jesus that we've looked at tonight show action, right? Was there ever any passive lacking in what Jesus did? Every example showed action. Some of those actions require a lot of work. Some of those actions require very little work. Some of those are things that you and I can't do, but the action is something that we can. The question there at the bottom, how do the ways we act toward people reflect our attitude toward God? If we have the proper attitude and respect and love for God, then we're going to love God's creation. We're going to have, if we realize how much compassion and mercy He's had on us, that's going to spill over to people we come into contact with. Maybe difficult. It can be difficult. But the easiest thing is just to simply say, I don't want to deal with this. But we had seven stories tonight of examples where Jesus very easily could have said what? I don't want to deal with this. But every single example, he did. And that's where, to me, the compassion and the empathy is. And we have to be willing to say, I can try to help you with whatever this is. So tonight, I hope this has helped some. I think there's been some biblical and some sort of practical application that can go as well. I hope that there's something here that benefited you in the process. And I hope that you don't think that I'm really good at this because I'm not necessarily that good at it either. But I don't know that any of us 
are that good at it. And there's only one thing that we can do is try to keep getting better and better at it. Because the best thing, the thing about this is there's always going to be a need for compassion and there's always going to be a need for empathy in the rest of our lives. If we live 10 minutes or 10 years or 10 million years, there's always going to be a need for it. If there's anything we can do, any way we can help you, we certainly invite you to come. Always stand.